Hello. It's good to see you all. Um, we're doing part two of our teaching on the Beatitudes. Um, the Beatitudes are the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching that Jesus did. And he was teaching his disciples on a mountain. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus was talking about nine different groups of people who are blessed. And I want to be in on that group, don't you? I want to be on in on the group of people that Jesus said would be blessed. And I'm titling this Supreme Blessedness because one of the Greek one of the definitions for the Greek word blessed there is supreme blessedness. So that sounds like a good deal to me. How about you? So um, as I read the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount, in fact, you know, my eyes get bigger and bigger and my mouth, drop, my jaw drops and I kind of feel shameful and in disbelief and despair at how in the world am I going to measure up? How in the world could I do this? But these are the words of Jesus and Jesus died to enable me to live these words. And nothing quite shows um, our absolute and ultimate need for the new birth, the Holy Spirit, and his work in us more than the Sermon on the Mount does. And the more that we read it and study it and do what it says, the more we will receive the promised blessings on, of the Sermon on the Mount, of the Beatitudes. So we live it, we practice it, and we give ourselves to it, and the promised blessings will come. And I thank God for that. Hallelujah. Um, the Beatitudes have to do with the things on the inside of us, our spiritual birth, our spiritual health, our character, and our maturity. They tell us what should be going on in the inner man. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount tells us what uh, what the expression of all that is, what goes on in the outer man. So Jesus didn't leave us in the dark. The Sermon on the Mount tells us what our character and our conduct should be. What the, what are, what's on the inside of us, our, our character determines our conduct. In Matthew 7, 17, it says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So what's on the inside of us will eventually come out on the outside. So if you look at the Beatitudes, it's very interesting. It seems like an apparent negative always comes before a positive. It's kind of like opposites in each verse. So it's very interesting. And Matthew, I'm going to read them to you as a review. Matthew 5, 3 is where they start. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, uh, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these verses have much to do with the foundations of Christianity. So you see the word blessed is repeated at the beginning of every verse there. So the definition of blessed is to to sense the joy or happiness that comes from knowing we stand approved before God. Happy, joyous, well-off, a true state of well-being possessing the favor of God, spiritually prosperous, supreme blessedness, as we talked about before. So last week we discussed the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking about spiritual bankruptcy, a desperate and deep sense of needing God. If we don't need God, we don't come to him. And if we don't come knowing we are lost without him, we can never really know him. So we have to come to God with nothing at all, our poor. We have to come to him poor, realizing our sin and our desperate need for him. Those who are poor in spirit are supremely blessed with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? So the next one is in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, can you imagine Jesus is telling people that they're blessed if they're more, if they're mourning? Now we can't really comprehend that. You know, when we think of mourning, we think, you know, obviously, obviously somebody has died and we're not happy. We're mourning and we can't imagine that we would be blessed. We think of, we think of, uh, if we're mourning, we've lost someone, or we've lost a job, or there's been a house fire, or a tragedy. Um, but a sense, essentially, you know, what Jesus say, is saying here is, happy are those who are sad. But the mourning that Jesus is talking about is not a natural mourning, it's a spiritual one. The mourning here is grief over sin. First of all, he's talking about grief over our own sin. And secondly, he's talking about grief over the sins of the people around us because we know that their sin separates them from God. In a way, the second beatitude is our emotional expression of the first beatitude, being poor in spirit. We sense our spiritual poverty and then we mourn about our sins, and God comforts us. A really good example of this is the woman who wiped her uh, Jesus' feet with her tears because she was mourning over her sin. She, was, she knew she was poor in spirit. She knew she desperately needed a Savior, and that brought tears and mourning over her condition. Now, the complete opposite of this would be joking about your sin or even worse not recognizing your sin at all and we've seen that uh, in our society 
Uh, a lot of joking. There's a lot of joking about sin in our society. All you have to turn do is turn on the television on any sitcom, and there's lots and lots and lots of joking about sin. And not recognizing your sin, you know, um, I'd have to say in the many years as a Christ- I have had as a Christian, I know very, very few Christians that would ever admit that they're wrong about anything or repent of their sin. Um, you know, it's just not done. <laughs> People, Christians very seldom ever admit that they're wrong, and that makes me very sad. Um one thing I have to say about my husband is he is very, very quick to recognize when he's wrong and admit it and ask for forgiveness. And he is to be greatly admired in that. And he's very, um, very good at that. And I really admire him for that. So let's read a scripture about uh, in regard to our own sin. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 7. Um, This is talking about a letter that Paul had written to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was allowing a lot, a lot, a lot of sin in their church and a lot of sexual sin in their church. And Paul had written them a letter addressing that. So it's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. It says, I'm not sorry that I sent you that severe letter, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Now I want you, as I continue to read, reading this, I want you to uh, listen to how many times sorrow is uh, listed in this letter. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but godly, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see that this godly sorrow produced what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to push wrong, punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. See, we see in this Corinthian church that they had sin in their lives, and they recognized the poverty that they had, the spiritual poverty that they had, and then they grieved over that. They, they had sorrow over that. They mourned over that. And because they mourned over that, they were comforted. And uh, they, were, they were blessed of the Lord because they, they had that sorrow. Let's look at another example in the book of Jonah. Jonah verse three, or chapter 3, verse 4, in the Amplified, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days' journey, 60 miles in circumference. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed in God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth in penitent mourning from the greatest of them to the least of them. See, they were mourning for their sins. 
For the word came to the king of Nineveh of all that had happened to Jonah and his terrifying message from God. And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe aside, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. See, uh, a lot of times in the church today, if, if sin is addressed, people just yawn and they think, you know, it, it's, you know, talking to somebody else or, you know, somebody else needs to hear that. Uh, and there's very little conviction of sin in our own lives. And the people of, in the Corinthian church and the people of Nineveh take that, took that to their own heart and they themselves repented. A deep sense of mourning, remorse and repentance, uh, is so, something that is seldom emphasized in Christianity today. It's, you know, it's just too important to feel good. It's too important to make everybody feel good. It's too important to make everybody feel not offend anybody. Um, you know, if you offend people, they will leave your church. If you offend people, they won't talk to you. If you preach the whole Bible, people get offended, you know, uh, and people do not want to mourn for their sins anymore. They, they, uh, feeling good is more important than being right with God. And that's very, very sad. Very, very sad. Uh, so that's, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the ways to be blessed is to mourn over your sins. In James 4, verse 8, and people, people, there's a teaching going around in the body of Christ that once you are born again, you do not need to repent anymore. But we see in that, that letter to the Corinthians, they were all born again Christians and they needed to repent. In James 4, verse 8, it's this is talking to Christians. And they needed to repent. They needed to realize that they were sinners and they needed to repent. It says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interest and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. As you draw near to God, be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth and dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. See how important it is? to realize that we're, we sin. You know, there's many times that I'm, I find myself not doing exactly what God wants me to do. Maybe I've had a sharp word, uh, against someone or some, you know, I think something that I shouldn't be thinking or I do something I shouldn't be doing. And I, go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. And I ask that you cleanse my heart, that you forgive me. And I just trust that the blood of Jesus makes that right. We need to go before the Lord. And the Lord says that he will comfort us. He will make those things right. And here it says he will lift you up. He will lift you up when we come before him in repentance. And the second thing is that we need to be mourning for the lost. Um, you know, only people that are alive can mourn for the dead. 
And if we're not mourning for the spiritually dead or the people around us that are separated from God, if we're not mourning for them, then it means that we're not too alive spiritually. So if we're alive spiritually, we will be mourning for those who are dead spiritually. So in Psalm 126, verse 5, it says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. In Luke 19, it says, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their sin. When is the last time you wept over someone who was separated from God, who is sinning? You just wept because you knew that they weren't right with God. We need to have that spiritual sensitivity that we're weeping over people because we want them to be right with God. Again, if we are alive spiritually, we will mourn for those who are dead spiritually. The spiritually dead do not mourn for the dead, and they are not concerned for or pray for the lost, or they are not active in soul winning. So as a review, the first two Beatitudes that we've gone over are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And next week, we'll do some more. This has been great, and I've been encouraged. I've been encouraged in it, and the Word of God always brings life and light to us. So I encourage you to um, meditate on these words and uh, speak them and live them and share them with other people. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week.